Welcome to Forward Talks, a podcast about moving towards sustainability. I'm Tatiana Antonelli. I'm really delighted to have Jan Borsted on our show today. He's a Swiss entrepreneur turned philanthropist who started the Humanity Foundation in 2005 with a focus on empowering women in countries such as Afghanistan, Brazil, India and the Middle East and North Africa. But what was really interesting, perhaps even powerful, is a realization he had even before he was a teenager. I wanted to become a priest when I was young. So it was, you know, there was this behind, I think, everything there is a spiritual quest in the sense of going back to the point I was saying earlier, it's the meaning of life. You know, it's great. It's a nice office here, but is there more to life than that? That's very deep. How old were you when you started asking these questions? 12, 13. And who was answering these questions for you? Nobody. I mean, I was... You know, I studied religion, so I studied Zoroastrianism. I remember at the time I studied many different religions from, you know, Buddhism, Judaism. And, uh, you know, I was on a quest to try to understand, uh, you know, what I wanted to do also with my life. You know, I, I think I always felt the sense that I needed to do something just bigger than just, uh, you know. I mean, I come from an entrepreneurial, uh, entrepreneurial family, so we've always been in business. So that was kind of the motto of uh, the environment in which I lived. But I, I had a longing for something else. Jan is an entrepreneur at heart. He started his first company almost immediately after graduating in the U.S. It was the beginning of the Internet. So it was really so me and two friends, we decided to launch like a web design company. And we ended up winning the website of Swiss, the, the airline. So that's what really launched our company. And, uh, and then the company grew and we ended up selling it to a French one of the big French listed companies, like an IT company. Then I went to, to London and I worked for a venture capital fund. And within the VC fund, I, I launched another uh, IT company, IT slash internet company. And, uh, and that's when the bubble burst too. You know? So it was an interesting time to see also a lot of money, very similar to what's happening now. True. A lot of money being thrown at a lot of company and uh, a lot of business model tested, not tested, but you know, I remember we gave, you know, we received three million pounds at the time on the back of uh, on a envelope business plan, you know. So it's just, you know, and the whole, feel, whole thing fell apart afterwards. You know, so. I saw the highs and the lows. What stands out in Jan's story is the fact that just because he was successful in the corporate world and being an entrepreneur, it didn't stop him from re-examining his larger purpose. To be able to have the realizations at 12 that most of us take a lifetime to understand and then to power that into a foundation that is providing a genuine platform for companies and initiatives to help empower women and people. I was part of this thing called YPO, which is Young President Organization. Ended up in Morocco, and I met a lot of NGOs. And I saw one NGO that focused on uh, on child labor and single mother, and we decided to start a program there. What was the first thing you had to do? Because, I mean, coming from the business world, that's great to bring that experience. But then how do you enter the world of the NGOs and charities? How, how difficult is it when you were still based in the UK at that time, I imagine? Look, I think the first thing I've learned, and I say it now, but it's to have humility, you know, that you don't know. You, you think you come in and you have the answers. And in the, you know, in the social sector, it, sometimes the issues are much more complicated than what you think, you know. I give you an example. The first program we had was about sending back to their families and to school girls who were employed as little maids. And uh, we started doing that. 
And then we realized that some parents were sending their daughters and coming to us saying, oh, can I give me a monthly allowance because I'm, I would bring back my daughter. So sometimes you think you solve a problem, but you end up creating a bigger problem. So you know, it's, the point is that it's much more complex, as I said earlier, than just saying, okay, that's a problem, that's a solution. Actually, this is something that happens a lot. Um, and that's why data also is in interesting. We had an event a few months ago called Data for Good, where data was able to tell banks or big companies if their initiative was actually reaching the, good, the right people or having the positive impact. And one of them, it's called Meals on Wheels, and they were, you know, giving food to the elderly people, thinking what a great thing, right? We're happy, we're helping people who are not getting food or it's very hard for them to go and do their shopping to get the food right at their, in their homes. But after a few months, they realized that the elderly were actually not happy. They were depressed because they were not moving anymore. They were not meeting anymore people. And the effort and the movement of taking the stairs or the elevator to go out of their home actually was good for them. So somehow something they thought was really positive uh, didn't bring the right results. So what you're saying is true. We, we might have a good idea, but then the implementation and we need to go so many more steps behind what we do. So it's similar to business, you said. There is trial and error. And you try certain things and you see what works, what doesn't work. But that's why I always say, you know, you start small, you see what works. No, and you start in philanthropy with your heart, but then you need to finish with your head. Because it's often not the one, the, the, the cause that appeals the most to your heart, that where you can have the most impact. So it's, you know, it's finding that right balance. And so humanity, it's a very powerful name. Uh, it starts from, from women and it's dedicated to women. So you know, all our programs are dedicated to, uh, to girls and women. So that's why the name humanity comes from woman and humanity. And, uh, and for me, the, you know, I consider myself you know, a human being. And I, I'm born a man, but I could have been born a woman. Huh? You know, what's the likelihood? You know, it's probably 50-50. So... And I always say I don't use the word feminist because I say I'm a humanist. It's about trying to give the same rights and opportunities to every human being. So that's what we do because in many places, being a woman is a much complicated uh, role than being a man. So and and there is a lot of potential. And you know there is so many you know going back to what you were saying about data. So many data shows that you know giving the same rights and opportunities creates better society, more equal society. So. It's beneficial to have for everyone. And how did it evolve? When did that start in Morocco? How many years ago? It's 14 years. Next year is going to be 15 year anniversary of the foundation. And so it's a long time. What, what happened in, in this period of time after your... A lot of trial and errors. <laughs> what has happened is we've... Uh, you know, I think it's similar. I still have my... I'm still an entrepreneur and I still run businesses. And I see it, you know, you get better at things by doing it. And, and by being focused on, uh, on a few things. So you talked a bit earlier about the impact. You know, a lot of the things that we do now is about measuring an impact evaluation. So before you start any program, you try to define what you're going to measure in terms of impact. Because you know, when you're doing charity, it's too easy to say, oh, I'm doing good. Okay, but you know, could you do better? You know, I always say, how can I get the most impact from that dollar that I receive? Because that's the duty that I have to people who give us money. I mean, I put a lot of the money also myself, but you know, I want to have the most impact with the dollar. I want to be able to help the most people. So, but that means that you spend more time at the beginning trying to, to identify what you want to measure 
and then you evolve within the, you know during the project in trying to see what what's being measured and how to measure it better and so now your impact is actually well over the North, North Africa. You are now also in, in Afghanistan and in other parts of the world. So what are the different projects and how do you choose these projects? So, you know, the fact that I'm based in Dubai, is there, there is a geographical reason is that our market, if you want, is India, Afghanistan and the whole of the Middle East, MENA, the Middle East, North Africa. So how do we choose projects? We, we have four projects uh, right now and they're projects that we run ourselves with our own people. So there is one project, Women Changemakers, that's the one in India. It's about helping social entrepreneurs with innovative solutions to women empowerment to scale their impact. So it's very much like I was doing in venture capital, but except in, it's in a social field. So you find somebody who has a great idea that works, and how can you help that person to scale that impact? And the impact is about helping women. So we, we work on education in India, we work on sex trafficking, we work on microcredit. So we work with people who are in that field and want to, And, and want to grow their um, their social venture. So, for example, Safina Hussein, who has educated girls, used to work in 3,000 schools when we started with her. Now she's in 30,000 schools in Rajasthan. So, you know, there is a lot of issues growing a, an organization. It's like growing a business, except you spend more money instead of making more money. So that's one of the program. Uh, we have a second program here in the region, which is developing media to challenge gender stereotypes. So we launched 10 years ago the first radio for women called Radio Nisa in Palestine. And uh, since then, we've been doing an, a number of uh, programs leveraging social media. And now we have a small social media group called We Mean Media. And we develop TV series, you know, digital series, and that, that are entertaining, but about challenging the role of men and women in societies. I saw a video actually, uh, very interesting, on how women, uh, a woman was showing her friend, her boyfriend, what it means to be a woman and harassed in the office. And for the man to see it from her perspective was mind-blowing. I mean, said like this, it doesn't make sense, but I invite everyone to go watch it. Now we just did a, a small uh, video on the woman faces in the, in the, in the Lebanese uh, protests. Oh, wow. So this is also part of We, uh, we Mean Yeah, I mean, media. our team is based in Beirut, so Amanda, who runs the team, could not not do something about all the women faces of the protest, you know. So, And then we have two other programs. One of them is in Afghanistan. We've been working in Afghanistan since 2007, first at the high school level, at the school level, to develop and transform girls' school, so improving the girls' education. And now we have a big program called Coding for Girls. We, develop, we help girls to be software engineers. And it has two advantages. It's about breaking stereotype that a woman can be a, a software engineer, And also that's where there is a lot more growth in terms of employment in, uh, in Afghanistan. And the last program um, that, uh, that we have is an award that uh, finds the best innovation in terms of violence against women. Because violence against women is something that transcends developing in developed countries. You know? It happens in France. It happens in, in India, it happens everywhere. True, I've, so, I've seen some, uh, some data again on what happens in Europe and it's quite frightening. 60,000 rapes in France per year. Yeah. Um, when you talk about innovation in this, in this case, what could it be? So innovation, for example, we, uh, last year we, we gave an award to, to two NGOs applied together, one that has something, like I said, innovative and the other one I want to replicate it. So we gave, a, it was about urban safety. How can you create urban environments that are safer for women? You know, there are cities like Delhi, 
when women don't go out at night because of the risk of being harassed and mainly raped. So we gave this award to uh, two NGOs, one from South Africa, one from Imda, called Safety Pin. They have like a, they develop like a, an app where you could see where there has been like rape, where there has been attacked. You know what are the cl closest police stations. So and it's uh, something that uh, it's a bit like Uber. He nourishes himself with more data that you know user can post. So it's about you know you can see where you should go or shouldn't go. So it's community based. People exactly. can actually participate. Exactly. And when did you launch this? That we that was part of the award. So it's oh. two organizations. So okay, the, and uh, one from India and one from South Africa. Talking about phones and technology, and somehow this already implies that women have a phone and a smartphone. What happens, for example, with women with no phone? No, look. If you look at uh, India and uh, and the rollout of three, four, five G, and also you know the price of of phone, you know they're really coming out. With a cheap cheap phone, with, with social media, with data, so we are not far away from having a, a society where you know 80, 90 percent even in rural villages will have, will have phones. You know, so because first of all, you have to be born because you know there is a lot of selective abortion in India. So, you know, where they would rather have a boy than a girl. So first of all, if you pass that as a woman, and then you know, somebody was telling me the other day that a lot of people in India were telling them that you know having a daughter is like a, putting water on your neighbor's garden because all the water, you know, your daughter will end up in the family of somebody else. So all that money that you invest, you're investing it for somebody else. So, you know, what I, the point I'm trying to make is we need to change mentalities and for people to understand that we can't, you know, you know, think like that. You know, I think boys are not more important than girls and we won't create a good society by doing that. You know, and they're talking that in 2030, I think there will be 50 million women missing in India due to selective abortion. So what does it mean? There will be 50 million men without a wife. So a lot of frustration. So we're creating a vicious circle. This is what is happening now in China. Where Same thing in China. It's a big problem of depression and frustration and, and, and other, even violence between men for that. Do you have people who changed uh, the way you, you work today or who inspired you? Yeah, many people who you know inspire me. I spoke to one of them today. He's a guy called Jean-Claude Biver. He's the he's the CEO of uh, he was CEO of uh, watches for uh, LVMH. You know, he's the guy who who changed. Uh, you know, he started Blancpain, he took over Blancpain, then he took Hublot, he made Hublot what Hublot was, and then ended up selling it to uh, LVMH. You know, and he's somebody who inspires me because he believes in people. He's very uh, you know he's very busy, but he always has has time for people. He's very respectful and he believes in people. And he believed in me when I launched the foundation. He was my first sponsor. And he really said, okay, Jan, go ahead. And it's, you know, I spoke to him today about something else. And those are the people that I, you know, that I want to work with because there are people who are human at the end of the day. You know, they're very busy, they're CEOs, but they always have that human touch. And I see too many people who are too busy and don't have and they've lost that human touch, you know. So here is, you know, somebody that, you know, I think about him because I spoke to him today, but uh quite a few people that uh, that have been in, inspired me along my life but for me it's about you know a feel, you know you get along with somebody it's a feeling you know we're all energy at the end of the day so True. you get along with someone because your energy clicks you know at the end of the day so and the project in Afghanistan i know it started also um, in a special way well you were not looking at that time at Afghanistan right but you met someone who 
made you look yeah, at that? I had, a, I had a friend of mine, I was in London, who, uh, who told me, oh, who was very good, who was and still is a good friend of Sherry Blair. Sherry Blair was in Downing Street at the time, with, uh, with, when Tony Blair was a prime minister, and she came back from a trip in Pakistan, Afghanistan. And she had gone to Afghanistan and saw that big school called Al-Fata. I think there was 6,000 girls at the time. And she said, I want to work in Afghanistan and I want to help girls' education. So we decided to team up with her and the British government. And we also brought in at the time uh, the AKDN, which is the Aga Khan Development Network, because the AKDN had done the whole curriculum for, for Afghanistan. So that's how we started uh, you know, in Afghanistan. And for us, we've been there you know, ever since. You know, The program has evolved, but... Uh, because, you know, going back to sometimes you think you, you do good and you create a problem. You know, we spend a lot of time improving girls' education. But the problem is then if there is no job for them. So I started thinking, okay, it's great. I, I, they see all that potential of what they can do or become, but they can't be it. So am I created women and girls that are more frustrated because I show them and then they can't do it? So that's why we decided to pivot the program and making it into Girls Can Code because we actually training them to get skills where they can be employed, you know. And and you chose um, coding and, and engineering. Exactly. And it's also about, you know, one of the big things we do as a foundation is challenging, you know, gender stereotype. A girl being a software engineer in Afghanistan is very far from their reality. So it's also about using, you know, what we do to challenge, you know, certain views that society has. You know. As a man, one of the key things I'm trying to do is how to engage other men and, uh, and the society in, in, in them understanding that it's beneficial for them to give the same rights and opportunities to women. I love that. So you recently had uh, children yourself. What did you have? A girl, two girls, two boys? I had a boy and then a girl. And I would have been ironic if I did not have girls. You know? <laughs> when the first boy, I said no. I wish I could have a girl. So, but anyway, I've, I've been blessed, you know. So, but uh, but I always say, you know, I have my kids, but you know, I have the there is a whole world. So, you know, I think I'm, I I you know my kids are, are born privileged in in a, in a materialistic point of view, you know. And then they need the love and the nurturing that you know as parents we need to give. But you know, I have million kids around the world also that I, I wish I can help. You know? I think it's Khalil Gibran who said, your, your kids are not your kids, you know, they are the kids of the, the earth. I have also another question related to North Africa and, and Africa in general and the situation uh, we have in Europe at the moment with a lot of immigration, unfortunately, mm -hmm. illegal immigration of people who are desperate, looking for a solution. What could be the role of, of foundations and NGOs in, in trying to help people where they are and and one could be women empowerment making them keep you know a job or being trained to find new jobs what what else can we do it's a very good question I had a, i've been having a discussion with a guy who, who started a one acre fund which is like a one billion dollar organization developing like a number of programs along those lines and the key thing and we, we talked about it if you want to diminish it you know, immigration, and you need to build local ecosystem where those guys want to stay in their country. So they need jobs, they need proper jobs, they need proper infrastructure. So as long as you don't have that and they think that they can get a better life somewhere else, they will go somewhere else. So I think us as organization, even as governments, we need to be able to fund programs to create a better ecosystem over there where they get, get better jobs, better training, 
So that, that's our responsibility. Other way, we're going to be, you know, it's going to be the, this ongoing issue of immigration, and and it's painful for everybody. Yeah? Nobody li- likes to leave their own country. No, they of do course, it because they have no choice, or they feel they have no choice. You've been recently awarded in 2018 for a very prestigious prize on philanthropy. So, do you see yourself as a philanthropist? Do you call yourself a philanthropist? I think now everyone uh, wants to be a philanthropist. You know, I, I always. I was speaking to a guy the other day. He told me, "No, if you make money, you need to have an art collection and you need to have a foundation." <laughs> so, uh, so I'm a social activist. You know, I like. You know, I feel responsible to be able to to do something to improve the world in which we live. Especially, I believe I'm very fortunate as a human being. And uh, so, I, if I come, if I had that chance, it comes with a price to be able to to be able and the will to do something. And going back to your. Uh, teenagerhood where you were asking yourself all those questions were you able to somehow find a way to answer those questions it's a journey it's a it's a work in progress so you know i know that i want to do things you know that i want to try to create a better world but also me be also being a better person so there is also inner development so it's a balance between the two you know you know too many people in the social sector forget themselves and work only for others, but so you need you need to find the right balance. You know, I work with some guys who've started a, a foundation because there are too many social entrepreneurs who burn out because they don't respect also themselves. You need to respect yourself, take time for yourself, and it's you know in, inner development, I believe. You know. I feel like you're talking to me right now. <laughs> um, so, what would be your advice for social entrepreneurs? No, uh, there are many things, you know, l- small tools to be able to do. So, you know, re- you know, take time to, to breathe, maybe do some meditation, you know, take time for yourself, you know. The cause that you work is great, but, you know, if you yourself lose your own passion because you don't feel good with yourself, you know, you're not going to be as effective. So it's really uh, finding the right balance of what works for you, you know, being the best for others, but punishing yourself is not the right solution either. You can find out more about the Humanity Foundation by visiting humanity.org. And if you liked this episode, we'd love to hear from you. You can drop us a review in Apple Podcasts or your favorite app. Or find us on Instagram at Goombook. See you next week. Mm-hmm.